0: Well, some people like to dismiss slavery like it was nothing. But you see, slavery, it can never be forgotten. Some people not gonna like what we say, but me I gonna say it anyway. We are gonna talk about slavery and the effects of it today. Some people just don't want to know about 400 years ago. But the thing about slavery, it's affecting people now. I tell you no lie. When I see a film about slavery, water comes to my eyes. Peace and welcome to the Abolitionist Daily Daily program that was created as a direct offshoot of the weekly new Abolitionist radio program We're on the Black Talk Radio Network This your host, I'm Johanna Nilaya. And today we have several stories, um To cover, so we'll get right into it. We're going to talk about Willasse County and the, uh, media continuing to refer to the prisoner uprising, the plantation uprising, the the slave labor work stoppage that went on there. Um, they continue to refer to that as a, as a riot. And we'll talk today about a new article that are some new articles that have been coming out, the new media spin directly from MTC's media headquarters where they discuss how these prisoners had conspired to do damage to the prison and to and to cause problems so they would be forced so the the uh, prison the people running the prison would be forced to transfer them because they were afraid of being deported and it's just a terrible attempt to try to spin this story when we've already told you what the history of that prison system is down there and the abuses and the people complaining, the ACLU was involved uh, several months before, warned everyone, asked for changes, nothing happened. And when the people stopped the work, then we saw it become seen as a, as a riot. So we'll talk about Willaski County and the continuing fallout. And the spin that they try to put on that. We're going to look at a story today, also, that was reported in uh, um, on rawstory.com dot com that stirred up a little bit of controversy um, in some conversations that I've been involved in. Uh, the gentleman that was sentenced to a life life imprisonment sentence for reportedly. Having a uh, twenty dollars worth of weed, he was caught in a police drug sting, and a lot of people, and I, I mean, I, I I do try at least give me credit for that, or at least know that in my mind I'm thinking I try to not racialize the conversation. Um, every time we talk about slavery, every time we talk about you know prison uh, prison issues that we we discuss here on this program, I'm not intending to. Make everything about race, but I was surprised that as, as many people of color that I was engaged in the conversation with, who were more than happy to throw the man's life away, and uh, discussing um, individualism and um, individual successes, and you know you, you don't want to uh, don't do the the crime if you can't do the time type mentality, and uh, that just turned into a longer discussion about. Um, our sentencing laws, who's lobbying for that? Um, how these things even become illegal in the first place? How, once they're illegal, how the sentencing laws affect people? How three strikes came about? I mean, these, this type of fundamental foundation level understanding and knowledge of the histories that have led us to what we're dealing with today. And unfortunately, most people aren't aware of these things. So we're going to discuss those things today again, giving you as an abolitionist or potential abolitionist or an abolitionist affiliate or ally of the abolitionism movement, the information that you need to be able to adequately discuss and present the abolitionist claims and participate in the calls to action with the knowledge of what you're really being a part of and what changes you're truly trying to affect so we're going to go a little bit more into depth discussing not only his case but like I said the mandatory minimums um, how that came about the sentencing lobby the whole nine yards so we'll get into that um, we're also going to look at uh plea deals because in this gentleman's case He was ultimately sentenced by the, the mandatory minimum requirement, but he did not face a trial. And we know now that 97% of people that are catching these guilty convictions in America are catching them from plea deals. It's not a deal. But we're going to look at the prosecution's tendency towards looking for Convictions, worrying about their rates of convictions, worrying about their career path, not necessarily being concerned with actual justice, with feeding into a belief system that preventing crime is something that you do by locking up more people. There's no scientific proof that has ever been linked to that. What you're doing is keeping individuals who at that time had committed crime off the streets, and that's fair enough if that's your thing. If that's what we subscribe as- to as a country, that, okay, just keep that guy off the street right now, and you want to play whack-a-mole with s- social issues that are affecting us on a much deeper level than you worrying about your personal Time on job as a prosecutor and what well how many convictions did you get and then waiting on some big landmark murder case or some you know particularly uh, sickening case to come during your tenure so you could be known as the one that prosecuted you know the the child murderer or the one that got the the big corruption case prosecuted successfully and you attach that to thousands of convictions that you were able to get and then you go run for Senate then you go and you put your raise your hand for a cabinet appointment you continue to move up the scale starting from this prosecutor position and destroying communities all over america so this is really the arc so we're gonna we're gonna get into that more today just explaining to you again you know how all of this comes about because what we deal with in this country is not by happenstance This is not just people that want to be criminals or should just try harder or should just do better. As one gentleman was uh, dis- uh, discussing with me his credentials and how much work he does in the community, how many families he feeds with, with, uh, his, his uh, food program he runs charity and, you know, this is a, this is a problematic mentality for us. And we're going to get into the Wallacey story, but I just want you to think about this during, as a theme during today's program is that what, what are we thinking by and large as a society, as a people, even across racial lines, just as Americans, what are we thinking? How are we reacting? because we have to get to a point where we start to realize if we're being or if we're just spinning our wheels. And right now, I'm just going to tell you honestly, we're spinning our wheels. We're not getting anywhere with any of this. The bad guys are winning. And, of course, we've got evidence and, you know, show you the numbers and give you all that information. But just take my word for it right now, I study the numbers. I'm involved with people. You're listening. You study the numbers. You know. It's not about me. It's about you and what you know for yourself. We're not winning. We're not winning the battle. We're not winning the wars. We are spinning our wheels. We're reacting to what they're doing to us. We're not taking action steps ahead of them. We're not cornering them in. We're not boxing them in. We're on the defensive. We're backpedaling. We're taking major blows, body blows, headshots, rabbit punches, stiff jabs. We're taking them as a society, as the, as the people trying to fight the good fight. So we're going to look at some of the, again, the fundamentals that make up this system and make up these laws and make up our processes. We're going to talk about some of these lobbying firms that cover broad-based interests, several corporations. You know, does a lot of these firms cover hundreds of corporations in addition to people that you'll miss the mention of? We're going to talk about the Correctional Vendors Association. Until we get to the next segment, you're welcome to Google that right now. Correctional Vendors Association, a conglomerate of vendors and potential vendors, people that want to become vendors, that enter into contracts with private and federal and state prisons to provide services. It is in their interest to increase the prison ranks so they can make more money. And these people spend hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. This is just one that spends hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars with lobbying firms to influence legislation, to literally write legislation. So when we talk about this brother with the $20 weed charge He got his third strike and he's gone And we turn a blind eye to that Because if he didn't want to go to prison He shouldn't have Hey man, you gotta know at some point It's his third strike I mean, he's a criminal, career criminal So really, that's that's my ministry That's my calling Is to work with you To talk with you To discuss with you To debate to go back and forth and and break this thing down so you can understand. Help me understand if I'm wrong, so you can understand. What are we really up against? Is it really just a 40-year-old man that had a conviction for a burglary at 17? He was homeless and already on drugs then. He was still homeless and on drugs and mentally ill at 26 when he got busted for another burglary. We don't have any idea the, the size and scope of these burglary Crimes. We know Jerome Myrtle was taken to Rikers for trespassing. They could have easily throw a burglary charge right on top of him too. He's a homeless man looking for a warm place to lay his head in the middle of a New York freezing winter night. And he got booked in the Rikers. And somebody either thought it was funny or thought it was something to just to try to do, or somebody was completely incompetent. And he ended up in a in a cell with all the windows and doors and vents completely sealed off. That's pretty crazy. And then the heat was turned up and up and up and up until he literally baked to death. So we just need to just take a look and take a step back and look at how easily we throw people away. And we've been discussing uh, one of the recurrent themes on this program, and it will always be because it is a major problem here, is our treatment of the mentally ill. And a lot of these people that are getting convicted and contributing to these huge statistics of incarcerated are actually mentally ill people. So even when we're talking about offering rehab programs for drug-addicted people, and they have severe mental illness issues. So maybe they get access to psychotropic drugs or something. And they're basically zombied out and they're still homeless. So then we look at how can we work in programs to get them some kind of place to stay. We're talking about very, sub- I mean, seriously deep levels of care. So I want it to always be out in the open between you and me and the world if you're willing to be open and honest I'm willing to be open and honest I'm willing to tell you how I feel I'm willing to be honest with you put me on the record come hella high water you know where I stood you know where this movement stands on these issues but if you could honestly give a damn about these types of things then at least be adult enough have the cojones to come out and say look man I don't care I'm not interested in being a part of a society that, that finds a way to look after people that have serious mental problems. People getting raped, molested, robbed, beaten, stabbed on the streets, already homeless, already hopeless, already not even a part of society. Suffering mental illness as it is, just being, if you're in the situation you're in now and you're living your life and your things are going well and you're perfect and you're doing everything right like the brother that was telling me about his charity organization okay you're doing everything right he also made sure to let me know that he had spent some time in prison so this makes him even more of a expert on how you don't have to go if you don't want to go well if you're not mentally ill sir number one it kind of makes you look silly if you're going and this person who's mentally ill is there too i mean one of you has sense enough to know better so okay you went you got out and you vowed never to go again, so now you're going to get your John Henry on. For black folks in particular in America, that is one of the most ridiculous fallacies we continue to believe in. If you just work hard, if you just keep working hard, if you just, you got to just overcome. So that's why I'm bringing in the lobby conversation today. That's why I'm bringing in. The big boys with the big guns, with the multi million dollar budgets that spend all day every day. You got to realize there's people streaming out of these universities and colleges around the nation every single year. Just flowing out of here. Just, just, it's a non stop, endless supply of people with newly minted credentials and hardcore student loan debt bearing down on them. And they're looking to make a place for themselves in this society. And a lot of these people take these jobs with these ridiculous types of considerations, these these responsibilities and these commitments they make to doing things that are destroying our society, but they just want to be a part of it. So when you look at all these people that are lobbying and they're taking these salaries and taking this money so they can be a part of the system, they're not hearing from you. They hear from me is just listening to me piss and moan and complain because I don't have a million dollars. We're attempting to continue to build and flesh out effective think tanks for the abolitionist movement for various attempts at a, a, autonomous movements where we can attempt advocacy for the underserved and underprivileged. Yes, those are things that we're working on just like our ancestors before us were constantly working on over their entire lifetimes, trying to find ways to advocate for the underserved and the abused, the oppressed. But if you look at at the history, it's very rare to find the activists and the abolitionists with the big budgets to influence policy in this country. And not much has changed. I tell you most every day about this network Black Talk Radio Network. If you like what you hear on this network, please take time out to visit blacktalkradionetwork.com blacktalkmediaproject.org and look into how you can make a, it's a simple click on a click. It's a click. Make a click and make a donation to the to the uh, 2015 fundraiser. We absolutely need you. This is 100% community-supported, community-operated radio. We don't have associations and and take advertising dollars from people that have their requirements of what we're going to say and where to draw the line about what we can talk about. We only stand for the truth and for getting out the information. This is a propaganda war. And if you're benefiting from it, we have a network that has as many as 30,000 people visited from month to month, regularly 15 to 20,000 people visiting month to month regularly. It is not some huge undertaking to consider giving a dollar and then the next person give a dollar. Few people give $5. Pretty soon we have what we need to run the station for the next year. Make a $12 commitment, a dollar a month for 12 months. Cause where else, where else are you going to hear this information? Where else are you going to learn to fight your oppressors? Over the course of my life, I've participated in martial arts training, combat training. These things cost money. Hell, I'd be on Bruce Lee's level right now if I was rich. Cause I could afford to keep going to dojo. I could afford to keep going to the gym. Half the time, you're making a decision about gas money or spend that seventy-five, a hundred dollars, whatever, to keep your membership going another month because you care about something so much. You want to make yourself better. You want to be able to defend yourself. You want to be strong. You want to be healthy. You want to be able to take care of your responsibilities. So you invest, and that's all we're talking about with the Black Talk. Radio network is, is making an investment because what we share with you here can change our world. That's all we're here for. It's not so you can hear me talking about whatever for two hours a day. We're trying to change this society because what we got going on right now is some mess. I'm just going to leave it at that. What we got going on right now is a sin and a shame, criminal. So we'll get into it. Soapbox, uh, soapbox number one stepped off. We'll get into it. Uh, Willassie County, we've been covering it at length on this program. MTC Management and Training Corporation, who manages that um, facility, came out with some new spin for the story. And in an article out of expressnews.com, It's originally a San Antonio Ex- Express News article. They have a headline that says, "Prison Company, Inmates in Willacy County May Have Planned Riot." It says a group of inmates who apparently feared for their safety upon dep- t- deportation to Mexico. See how they set it up right off the top? Just kick right in. This is their premise: these inmates apparently feared for their safety if when they get deported back to Mexico may have orchestrated a prison uprising that destroyed much of the Wallace County Correctional Center last month according to a preliminary investigation by the prison company that ran the trouble facility. Okay. Pretty sure I don't have to tell you how unreliable we investigate our own situation. situations usually are. How often do people really truly find themselves guilty of anything when they're allowed to investigate themselves. It starts in childhood. If your mom and dad told you <laughs> to investigate the crime that they're saying you committed, who ate the cookies, I want you to tell me who ate the cookies. Go find out. Who stole those quarters out of my coin purse? Go find out. Uh, I just It wasn't me, and I don't know who did it. And I mean, it starts in childhood. Who's going to tell on themselves if they know they can get away with it? honest people don't do it to begin with so dishonest people do it and then you expect them to tell we've told you how dishonest MTC is criminal their own guards (laughs) were caught smuggling 28 people in marked detention center vehicles with their uniforms on and now you want to tell us that you investigated and you found that all oh, what it was is these people were they were trying to they were trying to um uh make sure they didn't get deported back to where they were afraid to go back to their home country so that's why they destroyed the property and they forced us to deport them it's a lot of projection Utah based management and training corporation said interviews with former inmates point to a small group of influ- influential prisoners who had allegedly planned the February 20th riot to force their transfer to other facilities and ultimately influence the location of their deportation. Those prisoners set out to cause significant damage to the living area of the prison and instructed others to blame their actions on poor medical treatment. (laughs) Wow. As many as 2,000 inmates refused to work and set fires to bedding in some of the Kevlar tent structures where they were housed. MTC defended its medical services Monday, stating it had provided care that was accredited by the American Correctional Association and the Joint Commission, and that surveys found inmates were satisfied with the medical care they have been receiving. For all they knew, everybody was happy. It was working good. They have no idea why these people would have done this. Everybody everybody they talked to said they were doing a good job. So somehow they've cut a deal with a handful of these people. And they've agreed to sign off on whatever story... MTc has has drummed up so they can get some media coverage on this thing and spin this thing back around. And then they bring in the the, the uh, American Correctional Association, which we told you is a joke in itself. Christopher Epps was once the president. He's now guilty, found guilty of criminal conspiracy and fraud in running the Mississippi State Prison. It was over the entire state of Mississippi's prisons, all the plantations, 32 years, longest serving. And during that time, he was once the president of the American Correctional Association. And as the president, he gave himself five-star top ratings every time he evaluated himself. And Mississippi is right up there in the top of the ranks as some of the worst prison gulags on the face of this planet. So that just shows you the credibility of the American Correctional Association. So for MTC to defer to them, that should be a red flag right there. Last June, the advocacy group American Civil Liberties Union published a damaging report titled Warehoused and Forgotten. We presented that report to you. Immigrants trapped in our shadow, in our shadow private prison system, in which prisoners in Wallace County complained of raw sewage overflowing from toilets, biting insects, and inadequate medical attention. The U.S. Bureau of Prisons did not respond to requests for comments on, on uh, MTC's report. But a week after the prisoner riot left Willassie, uh prison uninhabitable, M- uninhabitable, MTC began laying off dozens of employees. Here we get to the money. This is where we're going to get to the money. As a matter of fact, let's take a break. We'll break here. We'll take our first break. Because, see, this is where it's about to open up. We're going to get into the, the the job situation. We're going to get into people's money. We're going to start getting into what kind of labor they were doing in the prisons, because there's other reports out there that don't go anything along with what MTC put out. There's there's truths out there that you have to decide for yourself uh, what's really going on there. So let's take a break. You're listening to the Abolitionists Daily. This is Johan and Elia. This is the Black Talk Radio Network. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network for live programming schedules. Visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. Hit me. Welcome back. This is the Abolitionist Daily. I am your host, Yohan Alya. This is the Black Talk Radio Network. I'm going to give out the phone line because uh, this is going to be a lot of stories today, and it's always open for you to call in if you hear anything that uh, piques your interest, or you want to add to the conversation, be it questions, or, or you want to debate me, or tell me I'm wrong somehow. I don't know everything. I'm not. I've been told that I come across as a person that thinks I maybe know everything but what I try to be is well informed that's really what I strive for I don't want to upset people or run people off I just want to be well informed for my own well-being and if I have information I'm willing to share it with you and it's all in love but if something you hear here doesn't jive with you please call in if you love what you hear on this program please call in Tell us your thoughts. Area code 712-775-7035. The access code is 367526-POUND. Hit star six and then one and you will be on the air. So before we uh, took the break, we were just getting into the meat of it because, okay, we have uh, MTC with their propaganda campaign, They're, they've gotten past the damage control of moving the bodies, finding out who did what. You know, they've gotten past, they took, took a couple weeks to assess the damage and they found, you know, where they could send the people. So they've got, they've got the, the collateral, human collateral in, in their facilities basically handled. So now it's time for phase two in their campaign. Now they begin the propaganda war see the media took that under on their own and ran with it for about a week or so that's what the media's good for they don't they can't think for themselves by and large they can take a their dog and can take a bone and run with it for a while but then you got to give them another you got to throw the stick again and give them something new so they then nobody really investigated in major you know what a mainstream media what's been going on. I'm yet to see uh reports coming off of you know, the major cable news networks or whatever, it's almost as though this isn't happening or they don't care but they will readily report on the immigration situation, the border crisis, you know, these headline stories they can blow out and miseducate an entire nation of otherwise indifferent and apathetic selfish people that feel like none of this affects them But then they want to piss and moan when the new budget comes out and it funds this crap. They want to piss and moan and bad mouth Obama, bad mouth holder, bad mouth the Congress. But really it's in your hands to control. But you have to to look to find out the information and know what you're fighting and to know what to do, know what steps to take. You can't just not pay attention to this. So the mainstream media still hasn't picked up the story and really gone into investigation. So now MTC's throwing the stick again, cause Fido's back and he don't know, he don't know what else to do. He just comes and sits and wags his tail and waits till you throw the stick again. So this is what he, this is MTC throwing the stick again. So media can run with the riot thing again and run with the conspiracy story now. These people starve themselves, face dehydration, walk through the desert literally. for however many days it takes a lot of them spend their last pennies to even get over here and they're immediately detained for not having a visa not having the proper papers and then immediately put to work and they're sexually violated they're brutalized the food is horrible Molded and out of date, sour, bugs full of bugs, and they put them in tents. Where it's two hundred men per tent in ten pods, ten tent pods, with no seal from the outdoors. Hey, you were doing better when you were crossing the border on your own two feet and sleeping on a on a pallet at night or whatever in the middle of the desert now you're incarcerated in the country that you were going to to try to find your freedom and they're forcing you to sit there and let the bugs eat you up and you're foot to foot with another man 200 men deep with sewage overflowing you develop some kind of illness have some sort of of health condition or what have you maybe somebody was trying to cross the border to come here to get medical treatment by any means necessary now you put them in prison and give them mtcs five star according to american correctional associations uh healthcare plan and they give you two aspirin and send you back to the tent until your next work shift starts so these are the things about the story that you're not really going to hear from mainstream but you're going to hear about this conspiracy between all these inmates to you know what we we're going to we're going to manipulate the justice system here in america we're going to manipulate these people to, to put us in different places and put us around and move us. And we're going to, we're, it's a chess game we're going to play with the American prison system. But now we get into the real meat of it and what's really happening. Because, see, that's all fluff. That's all a bunch of bull. MTC said it will permanently lay off most employees. It started with 98 people last week and 243 more will be let go next week ultimately about 50 people may remain employed remember when I told you and I'm gonna keep telling you the abolitionist movement is focused on the 13th amendment being repealed or at least having the exception removed we've discussed here before what the 13th amendment really means when it says neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted so America does not have slavery or involuntary servitude except when a person is convicted thrown in jail so that's our primary concern and our primary fight that we're fighting and we will fight that fight until those things occurs. Either the exception is removed or it's, the 13th is repealed entirely. Because it effectively legalized slavery. It, it institutionalized slavery on the state and federal level. It gives a financial incentive to corporations to seek to privatize the system so they can attach corporate profits to incarceration. This is the inner workings of the abolitionist movement, what we're after. But we also have an extrapolated army of potential enemies and we have to, as a part of our mission, find ways to make allies out of these people, find ways to incorporate them into what we're doing because we have an alternative for them that can get them out of being prison slavers, that can get them out of being prison guards, that can get them out of being the administrative staffs and the the people that work for the medical companies that only service the industries, the people that work for the the vendors associations that only service the prisons. When we begin to address these people as well, now we're having uh, an adult, mature conversation about what our problem really is. Because you're not going to move a whole lot of people that are depending on this institution for their livelihood do you imagine that slavery existed in this country from 1600 let's just give a 1620 to Jamestown date let's just go with that could have been earlier than that i read history that goes back as far as fifth early uh, 1500s with the kidnapping of Africans and then training them to speak English and teaching them what they needed to tell other Africans and then going back and recruiting other Africans to become slaves and then the colonization began. But let's just go with 1620 in America. Do you believe that slavery existed in that form from the 1600s evolved and You know, move from being all nations and, and Irish and the Slavs. And I mean, all these different, you know, the different mythology surrounding it, the indentured servitude aspect, all these different versions of slavery that evolved from those years and became what it did in the 1700s. And then the laws that became uh, prevalent to, to cut off the manumissions, uh, black folks buying other blacks. So we talk about the black slavers or whatever people that were, that were black Africans that would buy other slaves to try to buy them out of slavery ultimately when you buy your wife and you buy your brother-in-law and your kids and your cousins and you and you're able to you know run a plantation or you're able to run a profitable business and you continue to reinvest in the manumission of other individuals that's not quite the same thing as running a Calvin candy damn slave plantation and having mandingo warriors and You know, all this kind of crap we see in the Django type of a scenario. It's not really the same. But do you think that slavery went on for these hundreds and hundreds of years? My point is, do you think this went on like this? Because people had other job opportunities? Hell, the people that were the wealthiest in the country were only able to get wealth based on free labor and stealing resources and land. So if you weren't that high up on the totem pole It's just like today You needed a job So hell yeah At some point I'm going to go ahead and become A slave catcher So now I'm 1650's Boston Taking money from this Wealthy landowner to be a slave catcher And I'm going to go around and go round up These slaves And with no oversight And with this being an evil Occupation at its core so that's the thing that people don't realize is that you're associating with something that is evil in its root at its base the enslavement of other people is just going to be evil and it's only going to make you evil see so in America we can look at, at criminals we can look at drug dealers I ask the question all the time which is worse, the drug dealers or the drug users? Because uh you can keep getting rid of drug dealers, but people still want to use drugs. So why do we look so down on drug dealers? They need a job. You need to be looking at these prison slavers worse than you do crack dealers. If you believe that crack is evil and it's destroying our communities, why don't you make the connection between people who enslave others Incarcerate others so they can be enslaved and generate a profit off of their incarceration is destroying our communities is destroying our communities. The vast majority of people who are being incarcerated for low-level drug offenses, nonviolent victimless crimes, where it either has to do with their own addiction, their own recreational use, their own possession of paraphernalia associated with the use. Their own supplying friends or family or whatever with the product on a infinitesimally small scale. Our damn CIA moves in megatons of this crap. Hell, Mitch McConnell had ninety, I think, ninety tons of, or what he have on a on a boat he owns. I don't see anybody uh, calling him a drug dealer and getting rid of him. So this is what we're dealing with, is these people are destroying our communities, too. So if you really care about the drug dealers being bad because they're destroying the community, then you need to care about people like MTC who are bad because they're destroying the community, too. Snatching fathers and mothers and putting children in state care. And We told you about California. Seventy percent of the inmates in the state system of prisons are former foster care This is what's destroying our nation. You can compile all drug abuse related deaths. Illicit drug use abuse uh, uh related deaths. You can put them all in one pile. And you won't have half of the deaths associated with alcohol abuse. You just, you won't. You're in, you're out. It's the same thing. You're in, you're out. What is it? A, a total of them all put together? Heroin, crack, meth, uh, marijuana what I don't know everything everybody PCP everything everybody uses put it all in a pile and you you might get what 20,000 people in a year I guess I mean I've seen the CDC numbers and you know looked over the year to year what 20,000 25,000 if I'm wrong man you're going into the 100,000 range messing with alcohol and then the associated traffic accidents and people that get run over or whatever and the I mean, it's all of the other stuff, too. Are you pissed off at bartenders? Are you going to to the liquor store and boycotting? Are you turning them in? I mean, so our mentality is a little bit off, and we just need to stay realistic about what's going on, and we need to stay realistic about people like what's going on in Willasse County. MTC has to let go of all these people. These people need jobs. What do you think the odds are that these three, four hundred or so people down there who had good jobs with MTC now themselves turn to some form of criminality to survive. Do you think MTC will give a damn? Do you think the people that lobby for this these laws would care? Oh, that's not how we wanted it to work. We didn't want all you guys to have to sell drugs. We didn't want all you guys to break into somebody's garage and steal their tools upon them so you could feed your kids. We didn't mean for any of you to sell $20 bags of weed so you could keep living indoors. We didn't mean to leave you to our system with no support and now you're depressed and you're going through some some psychological and emotional issues. You're borderline dealing with some mental illness problems yourself now. We didn't mean for that to happen to you. Come on, let's take care of you. Hell no. We'll throw you right to the wolves. And you can be just like everybody else, looking for a job, in an economy that's 15% unemployment I don't give a damn what the numbers say there's millions of people that just quit looking for jobs are they no longer in the unemployment ranks they're not considering in those percentages they tell you on the news because they're not actively petitioning the unemployment they're not actively putting in the paperwork and going to the interviews and filling out to try to get benefits and all that so this is what we're dealing with now these people are out of jobs and that's a huge problem they've got a contract with the Bureau of Prisons that it was a four year base contract with two option years in it and now all that's up in the air that's 50 million dollars a year for them they had a contract that would go as far as August of 2021 we told you they had a $500 million contract with the federal government. The border crisis ain't about to get solved. They got a contract that goes to 2021. It's going to get worse. But now they've lost their playing chip. They've lost their chip in the game. So first things first is get the community behind you and tell you that these damn legal aliens. They set up here and conspired against us and destroyed our, our moneymaker so let's look at countercurrent news in their article it says last weekend there was a major uprising at a facility that might be better termed a concentration camp than a true prison the inmates who rioted are almost entirely undocumented immigrants who are locked up for not having the proper government papers issued by the state for crossing their imaginary borders the punishment for their undocumented crossing of these imaginary borders is to be locked in cages within the borders that they had they have been told they should not cross into. That is kind of crazy. I mean, I'll give them credit. It's a little bit, um, uh, flowery language or what have you. I don't really like to get into too much hyperbole, but it, but it is an interesting idea that you illegally cross these borders. So now we're going to lock you up behind these borders. That's our logic. While in those cages they're forced to do work for no pay making clothing for McDonald's and Applebee's as well as doing other forced concentration labor against their will. Well there you have it. They just name names. This is how prevalent it is. Are you really going to boycott McDonald's? I heard uh, Elder Bob Law on the radio a few, uh, maybe about a month or so ago. Actually it was around the MLK's birthday. Um, cause he was talking about the uh, national black united front, uh, partnering with them to start a boycott, strategic boycotts of various corporations that never speak up when we face, you know, when we're talking about black lives matter or whatever, when we face, uh, police criminality resulting in the death and wrongful imprisonment of people of color, we never hear from, from companies like McDonald's. And he gave a number out that was somewhere around 25 to $30,000 a day at every single McDonald's in the country that is based in some uh traditionally African-American community. And so again, this is why I can listen to people like that. I can work with someone like a Bob Law with that type of an understanding of what's really causing our problem. See, if we're spending $30,000 a day at McDonald's in every hood in America... And McDonald's gives a thousand dollars at a charity event, and we feel like they're helping out the hood. There's fifty thousand McDonald's around the country making thirty grand a piece off of us. They had a black CEO for a couple of years, and he—they just got rid of him now. So I mean, that was something they were trying to kind of prop up, like we care about black people. And as we continue to look at this, look at the strategic, look at the nature of the mind of people. Look at their mission doesn't change. You better get serious about what you are going to do to face what they're doing to us. Because you got a McDonald's that's making 30 G's at each store every day, 24-7, 365. Okay. And then you see on the other side, you got the prison industry that is benefiting from the hypercriminalization of people of color, the criminalization of the culture, perceived culture of people of color, racial profiling, stop and frisk, unexplainable black death, extrajudicial murders, illegal kidnapping and incarceration, illegal detention, CIA style black sites where the only people that turned up dead in the in the Holman in, in Chicago was a black person, of course. So when you look at this rampant and widespread persecution and the effects that it's having on the society, on the community, McDonald says we're not gonna miss out on our dollars. Okay, so what? Let's look at it. There's not as many brothers disabled to come in here and buy quarter pounders. Okay, how are we going to deal with that? How are we going to get that money back? There's nearly 800,000 people of color in the prison system at any one given time that's actually there, and then there's millions more that are part of supervision and can't even participate in society or whatever. So that's money that we need. How do we get that money back? Hey, let's have these slaves work for us for 20 cents an hour making our uniforms. Making equipment for us and we can recoup those profits that we're missing. We can recoup that by cutting out jobs and contracts with companies of free, free, own free businesses, small businesses across America that build this country. As everybody loves to say, we can cut that small businessman right the hell on out the picture. He's charging us $10 a piece for these uniforms and we can get these shits made for 20 cents an hour and never pay another sick day never pay another health care never pay for another vacation the orders are never messed up never missed never until the slaves revolt like in Wallace County oh well now y'all better figure it out because we got to figure out who's going to make our uniforms so they lose the money on the front end they still go back and go get the money through slavery on the back end but your response to this is hey man you see they set up against us just don't do crime and in this case, we're talking about the people that are crossing the borders and, and being detained. So that's who the slaves are in this case. And as I told the Latino community, the Latino listener out there, you need to get serious about slavery in America while you breaking your back to get across the Rio Grande. You need to get your head off of the dream act. Wake up from the dream. And check out Operation Streamline. Check out Operation Modern Day Slavery in America, and look at the numbers and how they affect. You're still people of color. Look at your breakdown, Latino community, in this. So we're talking about Willacy County, and we're talking about what's going on with them. But this is going across the board. Everybody's getting a little little chunk taken out of their community to feed. Really the Wall Street beast, which Wall Street itself sits till this day on top of slave graves. How do you think the slaves got there when they built the street and built the buildings? It was a slave market. See, I know some people, this sounds absolutely insane. It, it, how could this make sense? How could this be? I wish I had a pill for cognitive dissonance. I wouldn't even charge you for it. that's how powerful it is for you to snap out of denial because this is competing with something that you thought you already knew and understand. And you had already filed that away is that ain't even my business. That's not even my concern. That's how easily you accepted the information they pumped into you. And you just believed it and accepted it. And you just filed it. It's not even a factor in my life. I'm keeping up with what's going on with the walking dead, man. I'm still tripped out over Seattle, not giving the ball to Marshawn Lynch. I can't believe that. I'm waiting for my next mail-order piece of electronics. I I saw this fancy new phone. I mean, this is what your mind is on. And you got a number two. As they continue to perfect and streamline the process, we know from previous history they're just going to crank it up when it runs better and better on its own. Right now, i still got a few bugs. Right now, there's still abolitionists out here. Right now, there's still advocacy groups out here fighting a good fight getting judgments winning lawsuits kind of beating them back a little bit here and there but this thing is not going away and the way we can make it go away is everybody get involved and beat these people back and out of existence stop what's happening we just told you a Lassie county correctional center has had these people working for mcdonald's and for applebee's and for some other places they didn't even name but those two for sure what the hell is going on in america that we are contracting with our top blue chip stocks fortune 500 major earners for the last 50 years, last 70 years last 100 years, across the board these are the foundations of business this is too big to fail but not too big to not take a little little cream off the top of slavery, see it's too big to fail when it's the banks and then we gotta pay out a trillion dollars to keep them floating, completely Devalue our our currency, just to keep the illusion of these banks working, even though they weren't operating healthily, and they were operating illegally, and taking advantage of us to do it. Now we get to bail them out. But what about this cream they're taking off the top? This is slavery. This destroying the communities and taking away the jobs. So here we have evidence of what I was been telling you is true. Got these people in there. Three thousand people in jail, in a tent city working for McDonald's, working for Applebee's. So the article says, let's put this in perspective. Crossing the U.S.-Mexico border without proper papers from the state is illegal. So what does the government do? It steals money from taxpayers to fund corporate-owned private prisons to indefinitely lock up those caught crossing into the United States on the very territory that they crossed into illegally and then force them to do manual labor for the corporations, then make a profit off of it. How is that not the very definition of a concentration camp? How is that not the very definition of slavery? FBI spokesman Eric Vassace said that the situation is not resolved, even though we're moving to a peaceful resolution, but it's still not resolved. They're still figuring out how this thing's going to shake out. So there you have it: evidence of modern-day slavery and human trafficking. Plain and simple, evidence of information that we can use so we can start fighting. Because again, it wasn't just about the living quarters. Because inmates told them long time ago. The ACLU, when they went in, the people told them. They wash our clothes in the same water that they wash, and use the chemicals to clean the mops and the industrial cleaning equipment. Everything just goes in. If you've ever had a bad detergent episode, you itching and scratching, got a rash, break out, everything. I've had it happen before. To switch from Tide to, to Cheer, and the powder just don't it doesn't work well with your skin. So no, we're not saying you got to baby these people, but who cleans up shit with a mop, and then puts yo you want to put your shirt in there and wash the shirt with the shit with the mop and with the Everything else? No. You don't need to do these kind of little things to treat people like this. Insects and spiders crawling into the tent. Excessive solitary confinement placed in the hole just for asking for some new shoes or asking for some food. Prisoners reporting that solitary drove them to hurt themselves or even attempt suicide. People could be heard screaming and kicking the doors all day long. Basic lack of medical care. One man said, if you got a toothache... The only thing you're gonna get is an extraction if you can get that. So they go to the staff to ask for a diagnosis for a serious pain. They get handed a Tylenol and told to go away. One man was told he had hepatitis. And two years passed and he never got any kind of treatment for it. None of this stopped them. But when they stopped working for McDonald's, all hell broke loose. You're listening to the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johan and Elia. This is the Black Talk Radio Network. We'll be right back. This is Ron Hayes with Hood News, and you're listening to the Black Talk Radio Network. Stay tuned. and Elia, host of the Abolitionist Daily and co-host of New Abolitionist Radio. What I first loved about the Black Talk Radio Network was how the programming was giving a voice to my passion. I loved that the broadcasts were able to teach me ways that I could help build a community that I want to be a part of. Now, just a few years later, in the Black Talk Radio Network features my voice, and I understand how valuable it is in changing lives. Malcolm X warned us to take the power of the media seriously. It was Malcolm who said, the media is the most powerful entity on earth. They have the power to make the innocent guilty and to make the guilty innocent. He wasn't lying, and we know that it takes a strong and consistent media force to compete with the negative images and messages of misinformation which flow throughout the mainstream day and night. Well, the Black Talk Radio Network is that strong and consistent media force, offering a wide range of programming with topics from politics to faith, from health to Pan-Africanism, black history, and the latest headlines are on Black Talk Radio News. 24 hours every day, seven days a week, live streaming and downloadable podcasts all through a platform that is compatible with major outlets like TuneIn, iTunes, and stream seamlessly through mobile devices and even in your car. We do all we can to fulfill our end, researching, studying topics in depth so we can give informed commentary, inviting guests who are leaders in their professional and academic fields so we can hear from the experts. And when it comes to the grassroots, no one makes more connections and establishes relationships with the folks who are in the streets and at the meetings, the people who are actively protesting, agitating for a better world, and activating minds to join the struggle. In all of this, though, we need your help to make sure the message continues to go out all across this nation and across the world. The Black Talk Radio Network is listened to by tens of thousands of faithful listeners and adding new listeners every day. We need your help to continue the mission and grow the network. Come to the website, blacktalkradionetwork.com or blacktalkmediaproject.org and click on the link to donate. Let's make sure we keep this new media going forward and as we go forward into this new millennium. revealing um, information that you really need to know to, to effectively fight in this abolitionist struggle um, concerning modern day prison slavery and concentration camp conditions that are going on down in Wallace County and likely across the country at other we talked about lead correction in South Carolina right now our brothers are at St. Clair in the midst of a fight they are attempting a passive non-violent work stoppage, protest of slavery, protest of inhumane conditions. That's what they're doing there. So shout out to them. You, uh, you are in our hearts and our minds. You all are in our prayers and we are in this struggle with you. Solidarity. So the first hour was covering what's happened at Wallace and how MTC is trying to twist that around now and we don't want to talk about the slavery. You don't need to know about those contracts. What? Th- who told you that? This is about this handful of illegals conspiring against us. This is has nothing to do with any of those other things. You know, it's just the man behind the curtain. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. It's just ridiculous. So we're going to move forward. Though another um, interesting story that spirals out into deeper understanding of of our situation. And what we really need to be fighting against, um, the story that came out from, uh, Raw Story, um, March 1st, it's titled Louisiana Man Gets Life in Prison for Selling $20 Worth of Pot. So obviously that's a intriguing title, uh, reminiscent of a Huffington Post article that came out, uh, sometime back. Uh, 2013 Huffington Post article that came out is titled "The 32 People Who Are Spending Their Lives in Prison for Nonviolent Crimes." So they put these titillating titles out there and kind of let you know, like, look what our country's doing. You know, we've got these people that are, are are going to getting life in prison, and they didn't really do anything that bad. And then you read their stories, you see they're black people, you see they're talking about drugs, you see they're They've had three strikes, you know, they, they did these different. Well, you know, I mean, now maybe it's not as bad as I thought. I mean, I, you know, if you don't want to do the time, don't do the crime. You know, we, this is a nation of laws. I wouldn't want them doing that to me. I don't want them doing drugs in my neighborhood. I don't want them selling drugs. It's just, so we, we, we come in excited and eyes wide open. And it seems like we got a scoop. Oh wow, this is crazy. What is it? But by the time you leave, you've conformed again to the national narrative and it's not such a big deal but you're listening to the abolitionist daily and you are listening to the abolitionist propaganda rhetoric so we're going to make some strategic strikes today against the state narrative, the state propaganda so this story uh, the daily Beasts, Abby Halaje I don't know what her name is, whatever has the story of a homeless man in Louisiana whose car, whose case demonstrates some of the worst extremes of the drug war. Fate Vincent Winslow, a 41 year old homeless black man, was hungry on September 5th, 2008, along with the man he called Purdue. He was a target of a sting by an undercover cop pretending to look for marijuana and a prostitute. Although Purdue was never arrested, Winslow was. Citing his previous nonviolent felonies, a burglary at age 17, a burglary at age 26, and a cocaine possession bust in 2004, a judge sentenced him to life imprisonment with hard labor. Damn. Struck out. This was a result of mandatory minimum sentencing laws which allowed the prosecution to seek such an extreme sentence. In the article quotes uh, Michelle Alexander's book The New Jim Crow to explain the utter unfairness of these laws. From the book it says people choose to commit crimes and that's why they are locked up or locked out we are told, but herein lies the trap. All people make mistakes. All of us are sinners. All of us are criminals. All of us violate the law at some point in our lives. In fact, if the worst thing you have ever done is speed 10 miles over the speed limit you will put yourself and others at more risk of harm than someone that's smoking marijuana in the privacy of his or her living room yet there are people in the United States serving life sentences for first time drug offenses something virtually unheard of anywhere else in the world and she's telling the truth this is America this is how we get down here is what we do we don't have a problem with uh, taking a, a homeless man who you heard his rap sheet they said at 17 he was caught he uh, got convicted of a, of a uh, burglary at 26 convicted of a burglary in 2004 he was convicted of having cocaine possession. I don't know the cases specifically I wasn't there I'm not by any means attempting to retry or to exonerate this man I don't really know the details but I know my fair share of anecdotal little stories I could tell you about people that get caught in situations and blah 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 I can do it just like everybody else can and I would venture to say based on my experience And thousands of people I've met and interacted with over the years and thousands of accounts I've heard and read and all of that good stuff. I will venture to say that this man's total accumulated material value of all the crimes he's committed and been convicted for probably don't amount to $500. So this is where we look at the value of actual justice. This is where we look at the value of actual social network and programs that interact with people and try to help us have a better society. Because this man has serious mental illness. This man has a drug addiction that he has been, has kept going at least from 2004 when he got the cocaine possession to his 2015. So he's been at least the last 10 years homeless with a drug addiction. What did our society do? What safety nets were there for him? Whose charitable organization was able to find a way to help him? This is something we have to get serious about. This is as serious as as all this fighting and struggling we do for the LGBT concerns, Because see, the LGBT is not the mainstream. That's not everybody. But they sure as hell get the fight on the front line. And we sure as hell change laws and make sure that we take care of them. This country will come to a halt if you were to exclude people that live the quote unquote alternative lifestyle by whatever you want to call it if it's their choice if they're born that none of that matters because they're going to get political protection they're going to get political conformity to help work with them to make sure they get the best quality of life possible you have these homeless people like our brother here In this story, Mr. Winslow, 41 years old, he was 17 years old when he first got his first conviction. It's very likely he was poor. It's very likely he's estranged from his family. It's very likely he has struggled to be able to find any type of work. It's obvious he's had mental illness problems and drug addiction problems for decades. And our answer to this man, and our answer to thousands and tens of thousands and even hundreds of thousands of people, eventually adding on up into the millions of people in this country, is to throw them in a cell, lock them away, enslave them. You heard that this man's sentence was life with hard labor damn if they didn't even try to hide it and he's been the marginalized for all these years he's been on the outside for all these years and that's what we do so I thought it would be good to back up this situation To look at what surrounds this situation and how these mandatory minimums, how all this lobbying, how all these people are victimized, all these people that just need to make better decisions, all these people that need to grab up a handful of bootstraps and start pulling. How do we continue to in America have so many cases of people that are failing without looking at these systems that are in place that are failing these people so we're going to look at these systems first on my list is a group called the correctional vendors association which is an organization that represents companies that use prison labor to produce everything from furniture to clothing and all sorts of goods in just one year the cva spent $240,000 Two hundred and forty thousand dollars in their lobbying efforts. Does your charitable organization that feeds a hundred families a week, five hundred families a week, in your long hours, sun up to sundown, that you're out making sure the homeless feeds is getting fed, and you spreading the good word of love and peace and you're keeping your nose clean and you're staying out of jail. Does, does, does your yearly efforts in all that you do match up to $240,000 spent with our Congress to make sure that some sorts of legislation are passed to start taking care of these people? Or are you content to just keep putting a band-aid on a gunshot wound I'm not knocking anybody that's out there doing what you do we're all involved and have been involved and will become involved again if you have a heart for it you're going to continue to be compelled by it and the problem ain't going away till we solve the actual problem so we will always be as the word says if you are a person of faith the bible says the poor will always be with you some of that is them some some people that's just going to be that way a lot of that is our society and it's be already understood that people just aren't going to change they're not going to get it see you can glorify yourself when you go and you go do and you kinda need those people like the non-profit industrial complex like the civil rights industrial complex you got people like the Al Sharptons and the Jesses and the Congressional Black Caucus members and the people that are out here, at the, the forefronts, the NAACPs. And the, you got these kind of people that they really do need there to be problems. So, I mean, how much do you really expect them to do to solve what's going on? Because then where do they get a paycheck from? Well, then then what, whose limo do they ride in then? What $10,000 plate dinners do they get invited to? Once the problem's solved. And it's kind of the same thing with a lot of these people that are doing all this activism but not really fighting the actual battle. It's a lot of self glorification, and we've got to be conscious of that. I gotta call it out. I'm not here to to, to crap on anybody. Like I said, I've do it, I've done it, I will do it again. We came up doing all of that stuff. Winter rising to old folks' homes, painting people's houses, putting on new roofs, feeding people, food drives. When I was a young man, I didn't have any children all through my 20s. I had good jobs. It was not a problem at all. I never want anybody to know or, to, oh, look how much I'm giving. It was just an easy thing to do. You're 21 years old. You live with your parents. You you got a $2,000 paycheck. Take 500 bucks to Sam's Club and buy up a bunch of canned goods and, and make up the turkey donation gift baskets or whatever for the church. It's not a big deal. And on and on the toy drives and the, and the sponsor the little kids teams and to do and you try to give and you try to help but the, those are entry level revelations of what you can do to help those are the, how you start in the battle that's how you start how you start out that's what the first thing that crosses your mind and you go do it but as you mature and you widen your gaze and you begin to see systematic situations versus individual situations. You step up and you start fighting the system while still saving a portion of yourself to work for it with individuals because you're still bringing in new people into the fight as you show them what's actually against them. You take some of those homeless people and you make advocates out of them for their own selves. You take those hungry families and you show them what's going on and you teach and you bring up some of their children begin to learn that time is going to pass the kids going to grow up, you have yourself some young warriors on your side but what's not getting us anywhere is not looking at people like the correctional vendors association who spends two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year at minimum to pass laws to influence congress members to influence state legislators to pass laws in their interest because they are trying to have bigger and bigger businesses they want to have a bigger horizon. Horizon made 1.5 billion last year. I bet you can believe Horizon would be happy to make 2 billion dollars next year. Wexford Healthcare made 1.7 billion dollars last year. You best believe they want to make 2.7 billion next year. Aramark The Keith Group Hell Free Alabama was telling us Dick Cheney's got his name on some work center in one of the prisons. These people want to get more and more money. So the way you get money is sometimes it takes some money. And you got to put some money into influence sentencing. Says the organization is interested in shaping the outcome of the Justice Safety Valve Act or S619, a bill that was proposed by Senators Patrick Leahy and Rand Paul to allow judges to impose a sentence below the mandatory minimum in many cases, and they want to combat that do you see what we're do you see what we're dealing with make the leap, just Just trust me I know it's dark, and it looks like it's like the scene from uh, The Matrix when he jumps off the building the first time. It shows him, you know, hey, man, just do it. You can make it. Just make the leap. I made the leap. I'm on the other side. I'm looking back at you. I see you. Come on over. You can do it. Just jump. Don't look down. Look at me, and come on over here. This is just one organization that represents an association of vendors that spends $250,000 to stop Patrick Leahy and Rand Paul from passing one little bill that will affect sentencing, lowering it, including drug-related offenses. It's managed and represented by a lobbying firm called the Leonard Group. They never want to speak about this. They never take any phone calls or emails. they don't why would they talk about it? They're getting paid. They don't need to tell you their business. But I need to tell you their business so we can put them out of business. This is what's your problem. A man's been homeless for the last twenty five years on the streets randomly getting jacked up by the cops here and there, spending some time in jail off and on, catching felonies. Basically, nobody and worthless to your world, to your life. That man is not your problem. That man is not the problem. The fact that we can pay to influence legislation like this is the problem. And then add to it that you and me and a 100 people we know can't come together and put up $250,000 to beat them. And that's just one group. There's tons of groups in law enforcement agencies. How about the NRA? They campaign for longer sentences. They put out a press release. Discussing this, there's only two ways to avoid a mandatory minimum sentence. First, the defendant may provide substantial assistance to the government by turning in other defendants, Sinaloa drug cartel kingpins, responsible for possibly, I, don't, I mean, if they were generating billions every year and tens of billions every year just for themselves and then sending it all up and down the eastern seaboard and to all other kind of cities around the country, And then we know they were snitching on two other cartels that were doing the same damn thing just so the DEA could make some busts here and there and make themselves look good. But they weren't shutting those cartels down. They were still pumping drugs. We're talking about quite possibly and quite probably trillions and trillions of dollars just off of drugs being pumped into the country. This 41-year-old homeless man with mental illness problems, a drug addiction, and a life of homelessness, a life of being excluded from our society is not your problem. It's just not the thing. So you can turn against the people and and, and, uh, help the government with other defendants like the Sinaloa Cartel did or some defendants qualify for the safety valve that Congress passed in 1994. You can get the safety valve that they put in place to address the excessive sentences that are served by nonviolent drug offenders. See a lot of people like like Mr. Winslow, <laughs> you're not getting the safety valve and they don't want you to testify on nobody else. He told you his buddy that was right there with him Purdue they didn't even arrest him so what the hell who was he gonna snitch on what safety valve is it gonna be to keep him from getting a lifetime sentence nothing if the judge finds the defendant is a low-level nonviolent first-time offender who qualifies for the safety valve the defendant may be sentenced under the sentencing guidelines instead of the mandatory minimum sentencing law Although the safety valve is a step in the right direction, the criteria for eligibility is very narrow, so thousands of nonviolent drug defendants are still sent to prison for decades under mandatory sentencing. So they just told you in their own statement, yeah, it's there, but it's very, very narrow. And who did that? Who made that very, very narrow? The NRA. Who made that very, very narrow? See, somebody put that out there originally as one form of legislation, And when they couldn't stop it, they just altered the legislation to make it not as effective. And so it's kind of a win-win for everybody involved except the person that's going to prison because the congressman gets to look like he's a reformer. He gets to tout this bill that he got passed because it does absolutely have some room to help out to, to ease the pain and then the lobbyist remains nameless unless you listen to new abolitionist radio, unless you listen to the abolitionist daily. The lobbyists are nameless and they actually got to keep the laws where it really doesn't affect their money tree. This is what you're fighting. So you don't have to worry about Mr. Winslow serving a life sentence and the blood on your hands for turning a blind eye if you stop this type of predatory laws. And when we can save money as taxpayers from this 50, 60, 70, going up every year, billion dollar a year budget expenditure to run these prisons with these Hundreds and hundreds of thousands, up to millions of people that are in our systems under care, behind nonviolent, drug-related, quality of life, victimless crimes, modern-day prohibition, which damn near destroyed the country when they tried it out the first time. See, that kind of gets under my skin that people are so delusional about the fact that Prohibition did America no favors the first time around. It didn't fix nothing. It didn't change nothing. It made it worse. We had the worst crime, gang violence, mafia violence, bloodshed, police corruption, jails and prisons filling up, creating criminals. During those years that they had alcohol prohibition it's never going to make sense what we're trying to do with this it's never going to make sense it's just not it's just not going to make sense federal prison industries we told you about them $900 million in goods for various contractors including All that military contracting. And the people earn between 12 cents to 40 cents an hour. And it destroys American business and free labor. This is your problem. Free citizen. America would be business owner. This is what you're fighting against. You don't need a war on drugs. You just don't need it. The war on drugs is... Killing your small business—that's what's happening. It's destroying your small business and raising your tax burden. We're going to take another break. When we come back, I will quickly name off the rest of these uh, lobbying firms and some of these other organizations that you know very well, uh, but didn't know maybe what they were doing to uh, to help destroy your communities. I'll give off those names. We'll move into our last couple of segments. And um, hopefully this is this is a bit an enlightening program for you. I'll give you the number again if you want to call in. It's area code seven one two seven seven five seven zero three five. The access code is three six seven five two six pound. It's star six and then a one and you'll be on the air. We'll be right back. This is Brother Elliot. First of time for an awakening and you're listening to Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennium. This is the Abolitionist Daily We are back Thank you for sticking with us We've got a uh, lot of information We've been trying to cover today Hopefully hopefully we're at least making a dent In this thing um, I promise you when we came back we we'll would just make, make a quick uh, run through Some more of these uh, organizations That are working um, Working against us Working with uh, companies like the Geo Group and Corrections Corporation of America To um, To throw us, you know, further under the bus We looked at Florida on this program And in in the new abolitionist program several times And we know uh, the problems that they've had You know, down there They're still going through uh, four secretaries Of the uh, Department of Corrections of that state In the last four years I believe they've had seven in the last eight years Um, All of this, you know They've had some huge increase In the percentage of people who die in custody um over two hundred uh deaths last year alone. Um very high profile murders, uh Darren Rainey being one, um Jordan Randall APARO being one, um people be- begging for their lives and still being murdered. I mean it just goes on and on. The the fallout behind Horizon and their billion dollar contract being renegotiated if not torn up and thrown away all together. Uh, for not providing any medical care for people, um, the food contract, food vendor contracts. I mean, it's just horrible down there. But when we look at Florida, the Florida House and Senate lawmakers are fueled by campaign money and some of that campaign money coming from the private privatization of prisons lobby. The union at, at the time for the, one of their last elections, is the Union for the Prison Guards the Police Benevolent Association and when they found out that the private prisons and this is just showing you how these people know when they're fighting the fight to protect themselves so we need to know so we can protect ourselves CCA and the GEO Group were actually working together to lobby the state senators and lawmakers to possibly privatize all of the prisons in Florida Then they drew it down to just 29 prisons in the state of Florida. This was back in 2012. So this is a bit of a historical precedent for you to understand. They were looking to just privatize as much as they could. Geo Group is based in Boca Raton, Florida. CCA comes on board, puts the money in their pockets. Hey, we, you know what? We need to privatize and look at how bad your system is. We can fix all of that. You know, so they're doing their sale with well, the PBA who's over the guards for the state run PBA gets involved and says oh hell no you're not coming in here and privatizing so now they mobilized and it's a money battle and once again I gotta ask you where were you I wasn't there they didn't invite me I didn't have a check to cut in the first place This is a case of these two entities effectively controlling the laws for your state. This is not Eric Holder. This is not Barack Obama. Florida very easily could have had an additional 29 private prisons, and nobody had influence in those affairs other than the GEO Group, Corrections Corporation of America, and the Police Benevolent Association for the most part. That's reality, people. That is the reality. When they saw all those jobs, like we just talked about, well, Lassen County's got to cut all those jobs now because these people they acted up. Now MTC is in a little bit of hot water. Now MTC is kind of going to struggle to hire people in the area again. Well, you remember last time, man. they Hell, they laid everybody off. They never met their expectations for the budget. We did all these bought all these bonds and moved all this money trying to justify bringing them here because we're going to, and everything falling apart none of it's working so MTC is going to have a little bit of trouble dealing with that particular area and shaking themselves from the scandal that's the fallout of this prison uprising here we see the number one and number two in the state of Florida influencing the privatization of the state prison system and the citizens did not have a say so in that We told you about Seattle. The citizens had a say-so, and they ultimately didn't have a say-so. The city council arrested and removed people that were vocal about demanding that they did not build a new juvenile center there. The people had plans in place for their own community centers they were working with and building and creating their own reality for how to deal with the criminality of their youth. And the city council, who these people voted in, had them removed from the proceedings in handcuffs and silenced. And then the city council heard this going on for years that they argued. And they have these meetings and they go on for over two hours. And people would give dissertations that would blow your mind about the benefits of what they were trying to do versus the ill effects of what hyper-criminalization was going to do and further incarceration was going to do. And the, 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 the obviousness of the truth was there for everyone to behold. But what the city council did was booted these people out. And then they went into closed chambers and voted to pass the agreement for the new juvenile center. Mr. Winslow is not your problem. The low level crack dealer is not your problem. The person getting high on their couch, the person getting high in a shoe, in a box somewhere living on the street. These people are, are victims basically. No, I'm not saying I'm a victim. If I do something and I go to jail, well, then you know what? I did what I knew better than to do. I'm not mentally ill. I don't have a drug addiction. When I did, I was at risk of being in a situation just like these people. Hell, I partied just like anybody for years. And by a clinical definition, I was a functioning alcoholic. I was a functioning drug-addicted individual. I would get high whatever I mean, if somebody had it never missed a day of work never missed a Sunday at church so I had a drug addiction problem I had an alcoholism problem I made it through but that doesn't give me the right to turn and wag my finger at people like Mr. Winslow the by the thousands LAPD just killed a brother on video a couple days ago homeless man and do skid freaking roll you can't beg this society any more hardcore than to take up residence on skid goddamn road and beg this society to just let me survive somehow I don't have any other answers I don't know how to make it and you go down there and you criminalize people and you kill these people and you wag your finger at these people and you say well I'm giving out dinners I'm preaching in the in the ministry I'm giving out toys to the kids I'm you're an individual operating against you're not even facing the you're not even operating against the system you're an individual yes you're giving some hope to some people that's great you need to be better informed that's all I'm offering here is to give you some better information That's all we're trying to offer. So you got the PBA fighting against privatization of prisons when it's in their best interest. Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association lobbying. National Association of Assistant United States Attorneys coming out against sentencing reform. What the hell? How is the U.S. Attorney's Office going to lobby our lawmakers to defeat sentencing reform. What bizarro planet is this? This is what we're dealing with. The National Sheriff's Association, International Association of Chiefs of Police, National Narcotics Officers Association National Association of Police Organizations The Major County Sheriff's Association These are the people Who are getting overtime Who are taking advantage of militarizing their forces Hell, We heard uh, the the clip from Matthew Fogg Former U.S. Marshal And I believe he also worked with ICE or DEA Special Attaché or something like that Good brother turned it around ended up having to sue him because of the way they treated him racial discrimination, and several others came out of the out of the ranks when he did too cause it was all corrupt, but he's now with the uh with the law enforcement against prohibition, and he, we've heard the sound sound bite where he said that they keep kicking indoors in the hood they keep going after all these black folks he was just one day just happened to ask his supervisor hey man um aren't they doing these same drugs out in the suburbs aren't they doing them in this city and that city aren't these people out here i mean what are we gonna go up there and bust down some folks i mean we're out to stop crime right said his supervisor told him if we go up there and we knock in one door they're going to shut our whole operation down somebody will call somebody will raise hell somebody knows somebody from those neighborhoods that will make us non-existent you won't be working overtime in fact you might not even have a job we don't need you since you want to fight against the rich folks air quotes the white folks you better be careful that you got a job and over the short period of time later he didn't have a job so i think they made good on that promise to even have such a thought that you would really want to go against this system and and really go ahead and, and get after people that's really doing crime just like all these homeless people and mentally ill people and black people and poor people we got to get you out of here. And then we find out that all these associations of law enforcement are the people who are destroying smarter sentencing. The people who are lobbying the Senate Judiciary Committee going after these elected officials and begging them and spending money with them and offering them whatever they can offer them to get them to weaken these bills and to kill these bills and to stop reform at the legislative level. So I spent a lot of time on that. Hopefully that is something that um, helped to enlighten you about what has, is going on, what we're dealing with, um, who our enemies really are, And by no means am I giving a pass to people because I know there's just thousands of people out there that just don't want to do right. They don't care. I understand that. I'm not there's always gonna be some need for incarceration. Yes, I'm not sitting up here telling you let everybody out and just run the streets and anarchy and we just go I'm not going down that road. I'm not even trying to talk about that. But what you get when you present these arguments a lot of times, it is and there's abolitionists and allies of the abolitionist movement people that want to uh, be able to, to employ these talking points and these arguments understand that you're going to be facing more logical fallacies than you probably ever have in any conversation in your life previous. People are going to take what you say and turn it around people are going to take what you're presenting these facts dismiss what you said, introduce what they think and then argue against what they think never addressing what you said you've got to be on your toes you've got to know this material thoroughly and then you've got to realize that we're trying to work with people who are at least willing to listen we're trying to to introduce this and popularize this and get more and more of a groundswell of support so it's not necessarily essential that you spend hours and hours arguing with someone and and driving yourself crazy if the person's not going to listen and they don't care they don't care it may have to hit home for them personally for them to start to have an ear for this and they may not realize it when their business gets shut down because they can't get contracts they may never even make the the, the connection until their business goes out of business because they can't get new contracts and they then they finally somebody tell, oh yeah they contracted with so-and-so prison downstate they did what oh man now they may not admit it but that bell's going to go off they're going to remember when they had that conversation with you and you told them that that's what's happening and then they realize and now their boat and their big mortgage and all their lines of credit all that's starting to look like it might not be able to stay because the private prison's can undercut you. It was a mattress uh, company yeah, also in Seattle. Now I wish I could remember their name. Uh, that that uh, famously undercut, put out of business several uh, mattress companies. Because they started making them in prison. And of course, it's for slave labor and slave wages and none of those small businesses could compete in all those american dreams up in smoke and it was behind these lobbies it was behind these associations of law enforcement it was behind these kind of people uh... the bob barker company that's right now i remember America's leading, proud to tell you, Americans. America's leading detention supplier. Bob Barker. Look it up. No association with the Price is Right guy. At least so they say. These are multi-billion-dollar mega companies, and these are hundred-thousand-member mega unions with mega contributions. But together we are a mega unit Bigger than all of them But divided It's like they say about the hand The fingers on the hand or whatever It's just all in every direction I mean a slap is not as strong as a punch See right now we got the abolitionist movement New abolitionist radio move to abolish 21st century slavery abolitionist uh, The abolitionist daily we got fingers on the hand and we slap them around all the time but when you come in and we put these together we make a fist we can knock it out so i hope that's something that you aspire to do i hope that's something that you're listening to this program because that's what you your intention is in your heart to begin with yes and i that's exactly what i live for i plan to knock it out in my lifetime that's why I live is because I don't want my children to be living with the possibility of slavery hanging over their heads damn that I don't want my children to inherit this corrupt legal system that's making victims out of millions and millions of people with no end in sight, see that's the thing there's no end in sight there's no rehabilitation in, in in any of this That's just something else for you to get serious about. There's no rehab involved in this there's no there's no aspect of this there's no version of this story that ends with fixing people that ends with fixing society that ends with this system ending. Does't that make sense to you? When you have something like what we have in place in this country and the the, the system itself, the the machinations of it the inner workings of it are not designed for it to end itself it's designed to expand upon itself Basic logical conclusions people A relationship with a prostitute typically is something that is expected to last for a short period of time It starts and it ends and it's over and there's no more. You smoke one cigarette, that cigarette, you light one match, it burns long enough to light that cigarette, you smoke that cigarette, that's done. That's not something you continue to do forever and ever. It's one thing at a time and it ends and it's over. This system is not one thing at a time that just starts and then it ends and it's just something that happened and it's over. That's not what it is. It is a perpetuation scheme. It is a cruise control mechanism that can operate on its own. And when you see people come in and tinker with the machine and try to, try to, uh, disengage the cruise control, then you see the rise up of the lobbies and they beat that person the hell back out of there and they use their money to shore up the defenses against the cruise control. So it keeps on cruising and controlling. We have to be the people that defend the abolition of the system. We have to be the ones that make sure that the funds go from feeding the prison industrial complex to feeding the real things that will help with the drug addictions. Figuring out some kind of way to make use of the 25 million vacant homes to help out the 5 to 10 million homeless people. We have to be the ones to figure out how to put those pieces together. But we don't have the funds because they're hitting us on the taxes. And our costs of living, and our no cost of living allowance increases, Social Security not going up for people that are living off of that, and the cost of living going up Fourteen percent, and the Social Security increase going up 0.2% for 10 straight years. These are the things we're fighting that's keeping us from being able to put systems in place to actually help a person like Mr. Winslow, who was on the wrong end of the deal at 17. He tried to survive all he could, 26. He's still stuck out there. Man's 41 years old now, and he's going to prison for life now. So you didn't want to help him before. But now you're going to pay for his life while he does hard labor inside a prison cell. Are you proud of yourself? Do you get enough gratification from the work you do in your charity organizations that it's okay that you couldn't help him and people like him? Even the people you're giving charity to, you're not giving them options for how to live differently. You're just feeding them for a day. And it's getting you paid somehow because nobody's running a charity organization just for straight up free. You're getting something out of it. So we couldn't help him on the streets from 17 to 26 to 41 years old. So he's got another, what, 25, 30 years. He'll be inside. He's going for life inside prison with hard labor as a part of his sentence. Welcome to the plantation, sir. We've been waiting on you. So we'll draw to a close here with uh, our unexplainable black death profile. A brother that, uh, man, done wrong. Done so wrong. A brother named Gregory Towns. He was 24 years old out of East Point, Georgia. And he was tased to death by the police says East Point Police say that they responded to a 911 call for domestic violence on April 11th. When an officer arrived, he con- confronted 24-year-old Gregory Towns, who authorities say took off and ran. department says that they used a taser to try and subdue Towns. But the family filed a lawsuit that says he was tased at least 13 times in 29 minutes 13 times in 29 minutes says that two officers repeatedly shocked this man's body for a total of 47 seconds while he was unarmed handcuffed laying on the ground So I'll put the link to his story out there. Rest in peace. Rest in power, brother. I don't know what he was caught up in. I don't know what was going on. People, we're to the point now where we're beyond the point now where you should know. Quit calling the police if there's any way possible. If you're not freaking, I mean, if somebody got a gun on you, you, got a knife to your throat, you really can't call 911 anyway. But, I mean, if it's short of your life literally being in the balance, and even then they can't save you, I just don't know. I, I've been blessed. I've been fortunate in this life that I have not seen that our, our, in my family's extended families. We've never had any kind of incidents where the police were called my entire life. Going to visit family out of town, all around the country, here in my immediate family, grandparents on both sides. or whatever, we just It's just not something people did. For what? No one that raised me gave me any idea that calling the police was going to do anything but make it worse. And I'm so thankful for that because now as an adult, it could seriously mean the difference in life and death. I see again and again, these unexplainable black death profiles result from people calling the police for their children, young children, having episodes, sisters, brothers, loved ones, girlfriends, boyfriends, grandmas, people with mental illness issues, health problems. And what these dudes come in and do is, is, kill people so I will make sure that that is that profile is up and to close out the program just wanted to give a shout out basically for our abolitionists of the day just wanted to give a shout out to uh brother Sekou Odinga, who was released after 33 years uh late last year actually um associated with the uh, was and our sisters, Asada Shakur he was affiliated with the Black Liberation Army the Black Panthers a freedom fighter in his day and at the height of his strength and his abilities he was using his strength and his abilities to fight oppression I'm not here to tell you about his methods I'm not here to tell you to, to get into political arguments about any of those things I know that the man saw wrong and I know that the man was fighting through organizations that i respect and the record from what i've seen and what i've studied they were looking out for the best interests of our communities and in their absence our communities have gone to shit bottom line you can't argue with that after the black panthers after the bla after the the free africa move after after these people were trying in those 60s 70s and 80s to help us once that was gone look what happened to us the 80s the rise of the prison industrial complex, the rise of the modern slavery movement, to the millions and millions of people who it now adversely affects, and for the most part, it's people of color. So I just wanted to shout out to this brother. They had a had a um, a ceremony for him uh, here a couple of weeks ago at the Malcolm X Center in Harlem. Uh, just wanted to give him a, a shout out for his lifetime of service. And his love for his community, and even though he was behind bars for over 30 years, he wanted to welcome the brother home and, and make sure that he knew that he was loved and his legacy was appreciated. It was a ceremony titled um, Love Yourself, Love Your Freedom, the official welcome home celebration of Seku Odinga. So I just wanted to acknowledge that and uh, give him a shout-out as we try to. All of the ancestors and the elders and the fellow workers and strugglers and warriors, and all those who service and work in connection with us in this abolitionism liberation struggle. That's the program for today. Peace to the abolitionists and death to the oppressors.